Hey, it's Joyce. Every week, I have the chance to chat with an interesting, inspiring human and to share that conversation with you. Join me as I walk and talk with entrepreneurs, adventurers, and all sorts of people who are working hard to empower women and make the world a better place. Now listen, this is not some highly polished, formally produced podcast. It's just two humans out for a walk with the chance to learn from each other. So lace up your sneakers, head out the door, and join us. Hey everyone, Joyce here, welcoming you to today's Walk and Talk, where our guest is Yael Shea. She is the founder and the CEO of Mindfulness Consulting, meditation coach and consultant, and she is the author of the book, What Now? Meditation for Your 20s and Beyond. She has, is a frequent speaker and writer in so many places, and she is, I'm looking for it, an adjunct faculty member at the Wagner School of Public Service in New York, at New York University and the Institute for Jewish Spirituality. So we have so much to talk about, about the link between mindfulness and walking and what it takes to meditate and all the things. So thank you so much for being here and welcome. So oh, thank you so much for having me on this very cool show. So I assume that you were just born somebody who has this deep sense of inner peace, right? And meditated since you were a child, right? <laughs> definitely. definitely Isn't that not. how that usually happens? <laughs> not at all. The opposite. And I still don't know that I have a sense of inner peace. But I just have a lot of tools and practices that help me when life is difficult, which it is, like it is for everyone. So I'd like to start with a little bit of your journey to this practice. But even before we do that, I would love to just dig into this for a moment because I do think that some of us walk around looking at people like you and thinking, she is calm and peaceful all the time, and she lives in a way that I never could. Mm. True, yeah. not so true. <laughs> I think very, I mean, I've, I've been on the other side of that and, and had that thought about other people being like, how? How do they look like that? But, um, but in my experience, I mean, I grew up always as a very anxious child, um, very, uh, you know, fidgety, very much not interested in anything related to meditation. Um, when I got to high school and college, I think my dominant experience was anxiety and loneliness and kind of waves of just feeling like I was my own worst enemy, you know, believing thoughts about myself that I would never find love, that I would always be alone. And then, you know, from this kind of apex of suffering is where I first went on a meditation retreat. And like I said, never interested in meditation before. And so I, I really, it, it really was like a shock to the system. And it was from a place of kind of total desperation. And I was like the world's worst meditator. That's what I felt like when I first started. Um, 
and just fidgety and jumping and uncomfortable and felt like everyone else was peaceful on cloud nine and I was like having a meltdown and a panic attack and that continued for years and I kept it up just basically out of desperation and because I started seeing real real changes in my life and so I, I, I would say now after 20 plus years of practice um, is that I still experience anxiety regularly and some meditations when I sit down to do them are just completely me thinking the entire time and still like life is so, so, so much better and more spacious because I just have these tools. That's really how I, how I think about it is just these tools to help, help me get through. When I was meditating regularly, which I'm not at the moment, but that's, that's another story um, because I'm writing a book and I find I can't, if I don't write first thing in the morning, I don't write. And if I don't meditate first thing in the morning, I don't meditate. So it's sort of an either or for me at the moment, but mm-hmm. I was treating it like exercise in the sense that if I only exercised when I felt like it, I would never exercise. So I sort of put myself in this mindset that meditation is like a form of exercise and that means you do it whether you feel like it or not. And some days you don't feel like it until you start. Is that kind of a, I don't know, a helpful or fair way to look at it? I definitely think that uh, that is one way to look at it and very helpful as you're establishing a new kind of habit because it's really hard to establish a new habit of any kind and you need some amount of discipline, um, like you're saying, and, you know, something like I had a meditation teacher that used to say, uh, you know, put your tush on the cushion and just get there. It doesn't matter what happens after that, which is kind of similar to what you're saying of like, you know, as if you're just taking your body to the gym and not asking it whether you want it, whether it wants to go. That's definitely one angle of creating a practice. But I think the other side of it that took me years and years to kind of internally figure out is like, what if perhaps like walking, you could do a form of exercise that maybe you didn't always feel like it, but that was by and large pleasurable and fun and, you know, life enhancing. And I think the same is true for meditation, that it doesn't have to be you know, 90% forcing yourself and then like 10%, okay, you got the benefits of it. You know, what if there was a joyful way to practice? And that is a perfect sort of segue to uh, something that you and I have spoken about and I, I love to talk about, which is kind of the different ways to meditate. So I think most of us still have this vision um, very centered, balanced, calm people sitting in a dimly lit room on the floor on a cushion with their legs kind of twisted into a pretzel position that many of us can't actually access. Yeah. Um, right? So yeah. it doesn't have to look like that, does it? No. And, the, you know, the, the Buddha himself said that there are different postures of meditation and all of them are equal to each other. There is no one posture that is more spiritual or more correct. So 
One of those is sitting meditation, but the others are laying down, standing up, and walking. And so it is 100% valid to do walking meditation practice. And if you go on a meditation retreat, you know, that is it's like 50% of the meditations you do are walking and the other 50% are sitting. So completely, completely valid way of practicing. So what distinguishes a walk? Well, let me, let me take a step back from that. Actually, I walk in a couple of different ways and I've talked about this before. I have kind of four different walking styles when I go out for a walk. So sometimes I walk with my friends Sometimes I walk really intentionally to problem solve a particular and think through a particular issue. Sometimes I want to turn off my brain and just dance my way down a trail. And Mm. sometimes I walk in silence and just let my mind go where it wants to go. So sort of my walking style number four, I kind of always thought of as a form of meditation, but I think I kind of got that wrong, right? Because there's a little bit more to it, right? Well, there's different types too of walking meditation. So that one where you're walking and it sounds like your mind is just kind of like ambling around and resting on different things. That's beautiful. You know, that's a totally valid I would say it's a form of a walking meditation. Then there are other kinds. There is one that is rooted in this in a practice of what's called concentration practice. So if you were going to do that kind of walking meditation, then you would be super focused or try to be focused on the exact sensations of each one of your feet as they're moving, of each muscle of your body as it's taking you down the the road or the path and it's and then when your mind wanders which it always does or gets distracted you're just going to keep bringing it back to just the sensation of your foot and and the ground or your your leg as it's moving so that's one other way of practicing or no let me stop wait can i just stop you for a second what are some of the benefits of doing that Okay, so the benefit, each one of these practices have different benefits. So the one that you were describing about just letting your mind wander, like what do you find is the benefits of that one? Uh, it's, it's very relaxing to me. It's the thing that kind of ultimately will fire up my creativity, will calm me, uh, will sort of, it's a weird word, but will sort of center me. Beautiful, yes. And I, I experience that, too, when I do that. And also, I think, especially if you're walking in nature, sometimes, like, it's just such a way to have that inspire you on levels that I don't really understand that are kind of yeah. beneath the surface. Um, totally. And then if you, if you were doing the concentration practice, it's actually very helpful if you feel yourself very, like, kind of all over the place or wrapped around like you know sometimes we get kind of um, obsessive or wrapped around a specific thought and it's driving us crazy and it's painful you know maybe something that we're worried about that we can't stop thinking about or that that we know is not helpful but we can't seem to move our brain away from it 
So this type of focus building and concentration on something other than that thought or that stream of thoughts can be really helpful. So when you're doing that kind of focused concentration practice, it just builds in more space away from the other like mind loops that you got into. And I guess it also begins to teach us that we have, it sounds so stupid to say it aloud, but we have a lot more control over our thoughts and where we place our attention than I think we typically realize. Yeah, it it helps you to see that there's a world beyond just the way the way that your mind is getting pulled. It doesn't mean that you have to stop those thoughts because they might just continue, but I like to think of it like you're you're kind of moving your your camera lens somewhere else so that that thing can keep going, but that now you have something else in the frame. Okay, and I did interrupt you. So that kind of focused concentration walk is an option. Uh, mm -hmm. You were going on to another one before I interrupted you. Yeah, another one is to then, okay, so you're you're not so laser focused on the feet touching the ground or your muscles moving in the space, but you're also not in the like in the thoughts like the dreamy kind of um, stream of consciousness that you were describing there's a third path in there which is to widen the lens to as you're walking you're paying attention to your senses and that's one of the most beautiful parts about walking meditation is that there is so much alive for your senses that is coming in through visual you know visually smelling um, feeling that can go back to your feet against the floor um, or the feeling of the clothing against your skin or the weather around you and so basically you're holding a looser kind of a anchor in the present moment because there's all kinds of senses that you can just drop into pay attention to but it's not as like loose as just following the thoughts so every time you get lost in thoughts, you do want to bring your attention back to your senses, but you can choose whichever sense is most alive for you in that moment. And that was exactly going to be my question. Do you kind of run through your senses? So, okay, what am I smelling? What am I seeing? What am I feeling? Or do you choose one to focus on? I'm going to focus on the this, what I'm feeling throughout this walk, or are there kind of no rules? Um, there's, there's no real rules. You can choose. Um, some people like to have more structure, so they always, you know, they'll, they'll be like, for this walk, I am only going to pay attention to sounds. I think for me, I like to just go to the most prominent ones. You know, like if I'm walking in the rain, today's a rainy day, then probably the most prominent feeling will be the the feeling of the rain against my raincoat. Um, but then as I'm walking in a particular area, maybe there's like a bunch of flowers and they smell good. So then I'm going to shift from paying attention to just that raw feeling of the rain falling on me to that smell and try and put all of my attention on taking in the smell of these flowers for, you know, just a little bit of time. And then, you know, you see something beautiful. Can you put all of your attention on just that raw sensation of looking? 
And you get to kind of play around and move around and take in the world in this very rich way. I know this is a really stupid thing to say, but I know myself pretty well. And that sounds really hard. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, go on. it's just, it's the the way, I can't speak for everyone, I, I think I can say the way many of us kind of rush through our lives, just the act of really slowing down and putting my focus, all of my attention and focus on a particular thing, and mm. sounds really hard. <laughs> yeah. I'm trying to think. So what happens if you imagine doing that? Like, what do you think would happen? Yeah, you know what? That's really an interesting question because it feels constricting to me, which I'm sure is not the the intention uh, and ultimately not the goal, but that feels constricting. Yeah, that putting kind of that boundary around it to just focus on that one thing feels constricting and doesn't sound like it sounds fun for you. It doesn't, but it it sounds, but then there's another side of it in my mind that feels like, wow, that would give me the opportunity to fully experience the smells of spring or the colors of the spring flowers. Uh, So in my mind, like simultaneously, I'm feeling like, oh, that sounds really hard and constricting. And, oh, that sounds really rich and spectacular. Both of those things Mm -hmm. at the same time. I think you should, you can honor the part that is like uh, too hard or too constricting. I think that we can honor that. And you can imagine, okay, so maybe that's too much to say all of your attention is going to be on this thing. And what if you could, we held, we did like a softer take on that. And it was like, when a sense comes alive to me, I'm just going to pay attention to it for as long as I Mm. want to. And I don't have to stop paying attention to anything else. It's just, I'm, you know, I'm going to offer myself like the deliciousness of getting to pay attention to that. Mm. And that's it. Very loose, very like wide open so that you don't, you don't have to do the, the kind of constrictive thing. And in fact, it's probably better for you to not do that, to get like, to get the deliciousness of the experience. Okay, the deliciousness of the experience is now my favorite phrase and totally, <laughs> totally has to be the name of this podcast. <laughs> because I, 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 I guess, right, like that's a big part of what it is you're trying to teach, right? You're trying to encourage us all to get the fullest, the most deliciousness out of our lives. Isn't that kind of one of the points of meditation, I suppose? Yes. And I think for me, again, as like what I felt like was the world's worst meditator, like I was basically trying to just be a better breather. I don't know. (laughs) It was not delicious at all. It was very harsh and like unpleasant. And I felt bad at it all the time. And I think like what really revolutionized it for me is this idea of like, no, it can be a pleasure. You know, sometimes, like you said at the beginning, like you need a little bit of discipline. It needs to sometimes be not just about doing what, what almost like 
um, like when your habits are set up in a way that you don't find delicious, they're not fun, but they're just habits. So sometimes it takes a little bit of effort to move out of like the, the habits that are not serving us and into the ones that do serve us. But I do think like centralizing pleasure is so important. So I'm curious, going back to, if you don't mind my asking, going back to your personal story, it sounds like this was so hard for you and, and yet you kept at it. Any idea why? I'm sure you've reflected on that. Yeah, I think because even when it was so brutal for me, <laughs> it was really hard and I, I had a very brutal inner voice that said like really mean things to myself. And even when that was happening, I think in the process of meditation, I just learned so much about myself and about the anxiety that was ruling my life. And it got me enough of a, you know, space from that anxiety and those inner voices to, to really feel that there was some other possibility that once I saw that, it was very hard to just pretend like I didn't see it and to just be like, okay, well, that was a failed experiment onto the next thing. You know, I kind of was like, it always was there in the back of my mind, like there is another way to live. There's another possible way to walk through this world than constantly beating myself up all the time and feeling anxious and panicked all the time. And I, I want that. So I, I pushed through the, that like raging unpleasantness of the practice for years. But then it just, once I found that it didn't need to be unpleasant, oh my gosh, that was, that was just like all the way better. I, I I love the fact that out in the world, there is so much more uh, awareness and talk about meditation and the benefits. And But I worry a little bit that we're doing to meditation a little bit of what we've done to fitness. So what I mean by that is I talk a lot about what I refer to as the fitness industrial complex that has told people, women in particular, for decades that Fitness and wellness looks a particular way, requires a particular thing. And if you can't do it like that, kind of why bother? Mm. And I wonder, like, are we sort of doing that with meditation as a general society? I think so. I definitely, there is definitely a med mindfulness industrial complex of epic proportions. It's a billion dollar industry. So on the one hand, I think that it's like very, um, you know, it's a, it's a better direction than, I don't know, all the other kind of garbage that <laughs> capitalist society sells us all the time. Um, you know, maybe it opens up pathways to real and profound things that are, can be found in meditation and mindfulness. And it's like long, long thousand year lineages through spiritual traditions. Um, and, uh, but I think, I mean, how do you, how do you separate what you're doing from the, that complex and what's, how do you do that with walking and with what you're doing? Uh, it, it, yeah, it's, it's not even so much the 
commercialization and the of that of it particularly right i mean that's certainly a piece of it for sure but it's the it has to look this way mm. this is what fitness is and if mm. you're not going to do it like this if you're not going to be a crossfitter if you're not going to look like this if you're not going to be blonde and thin this is that's not what you're doing you're not doing fitness you're not you're not moving your body correctly and i feel a little mm. bit like you know, the, the meditation space, as you describe the practice, as you describe kind of the entryway into this way of living, it's incredibly accessible mm. and it feels good. And mm -hmm. I feel like some of the messaging out there is, you know, it's a minimum of 15 minutes on the floor in a dimly lit room. And if you don't do it every day, right? If you don't do your practice every day, well, then you're not doing it right for sure, you know? So there's, mm. there's a lot around it of the messages that I have seen out there in the last several years. Yeah, that's right. And I think that, you know, a lot of people, you know, non-white teachers have said similar things about like how it's, the expectation is that it's all white people, whereas these practices have been part of you know, communities and lineages all over the world forever. And the, but the image of it is like the image of like this, you know, like you said, skinny white person folded legs on the floor or that, you know, that it has to be, you know, in this particular way, or it's, it is, it is pervasive and it's definitely um, sad because then I feel pe people don't, people don't uh, feel like they belong there and they don't feel like it's their birthright when it is, it is, it's, you know, just waking up and being more aware and being in your body is everybody's birthright. I love this all so, so much. I, I really do feel like our mission's completely different and yet very, very much aligned. So I understand you have a 12-week mindfulness certification program coming up. Can you share a little yes. bit about what that what that's all about? Yes, thank you for asking. So this is my baby. It's the thing that I've worked for years and years. I've been practicing for 21 years. I've been teaching for more than I think I don't know 15 years. And this is um, this immersion program is kind of the culmination of a lot of what I've learned and what I've seen really transform and help people. So it's over the course of 12 weeks, we dive deeply into nine different meditation practices and modalities. To your point about like, there's different ways in and people connect in different ways. And uh, there is meditation videos, there's um, instructional videos short for busy people that you can take on a walk with you. There are guided audio meditations that go along with each week's material and there are live coaching sessions every single week. We start off with a mini retreat, we end with a mini retreat and in the last part of the program you get experience in the pedagogy and guiding of meditation so that you can bring it into your communities and with the people that you serve. And uh, the, this is the third iteration of this program and the, 
kind of testimonials are extraordinary from people who said that they walked in with, you know, high anxiety and lots of stress and they walked out with feeling so much more able to handle the ups and downs of life and the stress that they were, you know, that they're given on a daily basis. And, um, and, in, and so I, I really, really hope people apply. There is um, financial aid available. There's lots of support available. It's called Flourish, and you can find out more about it on um, the Mindfulness Consulting website. And we are um, in the final stretches of the recruitment for this cohort. So if you're interested, I highly recommend you check it out as soon as possible. And we will include links to that. I have one question about it, though. Is it really designed for people who are interested in leading others in meditation? Or is it for people who want to dig deeper and understand or develop a practice for themselves or both? It's both. So uh, it's not a formal teacher training program, but it gives you the tools and a certificate at the end to feel confident that if you're guiding other people, you may be in your workplace, maybe in your family, maybe, you know, in your community, that you can do so feeling comfortable because you went deep into the practice for yourself. So, for instance, in our last cohort, 60% of the people who joined went on to either a teacher training program or to be leading people in meditation, and 40%, it was just for them, and they wanted it just so that they can deepen their own knowledge. Perfect. Love it. And other places to find you, and we will link these, but other places in the interwebs where you hang out, any social media presence you want to share with everyone? Sure. I'm, I'm probably mostly on Instagram at Yael Shai number one. Um, I also, you know, vaguely on Facebook and I don't know, Twitter, maybe every like once a year. <laughs> and, then, um, uh, and then on my website, there's also links to other places I'm teaching and other stuff I'm up to uh, over the course of the year. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for being our guest today, for sharing your wisdom, for sharing your energy. I really enjoyed our conversation and uh, let's figure out some ways to collaborate in the future. Oh, I really enjoyed it too. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for joining us for today's Walk and Talk. Catch new episodes featuring inspiring guests every week in the 99 Walks app and all the places podcasts live. Until then, I wish you happy trails.